some of you who are here today are still in the process of coming to God. Uh, you've been coming for a week or several months and you're listening and you're on that journey. But there are many of us who are here who've already given our hearts and our lives to Christ. Uh, for some of us, that was last week. Uh, others of it was last month or last year. For, for some, it was decades ago that we became Christians. And, and one of the things that we're talking about in this series is we're asking the question, what are we supposed to do after that? I mean, why doesn't God just go ahead and take us to heaven where he wipes away the tears from our eyes for the very last time, where there is no more sickness or death, there are no enemies. We don't have to struggle with sin anymore. God's left us here, apparently, for a reason. What do we do in the meantime? If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're gonna look in the first chapter, verse eight. If you don't happen to have a, a, a copy of God's word, just look there on the back of your worship guide, it's listed there for your convenience. These are the words that Jesus said to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. He said, I'm coming back one day, but I'm gonna tell you what you're to do in the meantime. Acts the first chapter, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And what he shares with them is he shares with them that they're to be witnesses in concentric circles. He says, first of all, you start at home. Where you already are with the people you already know, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea. And then I want you to be my witnesses in Samaria. That was kind of a shock to them because that's a place they didn't go and those were people they didn't hang with. But he said, you're gonna be a witness with some unlikely folks as well that you might normally not associate with. And then I want you to continue to do that until the uttermost parts of the earth be my witnesses. Now the first thing that he says is it starts at home. And one of the things that we wanna say to you as a church is that we want to not only encourage you, we wanna equip you to witness to the people that you know the best, which can be hard because they're the people who know you best. And so many times we hesitate to share our faith with the people in our own home because we feel like they know us and they know we're not perfect, but this is not about talking about how good we are, it's the talking about how faithful God is. And to help you do that, we've actually prepared a kit for you called Tell the Story. And as you leave today at all of our campuses, we want you to take one per family, that way everybody can have a copy, and in there are all kinds of resources that our team has put together to help you tell your faith story to your family. Uh, there's a track there that you can sit down with your young children and you can walk them through and tell the gospel in a real clear way. In fact, we've even commissioned a small film that tells that story so you can go online and watch that film with your children and then talk about what it means to put faith in Christ. But let me quickly say that this kit is not just for those of you who have small children. We've got resources in there about those of you who have teenagers. We have resources for those of you who don't have children at home any longer to talk about how you can talk about faith more in your family. It's amazing to me that there are people who are married to each other and they don't know each other's faith story. They don't know the journey that they have been on. And we wanna encourage that. We're gonna give you some helpful starters and, and, some, and some discussions to have in order to do, to do that. Uh, perhaps you need to witness to your parents or you need to witness to your brothers and sisters. Uh, there's all kinds of resources in here, so don't pass it up. 
Uh, grab one of these on your way out. If you're joining us online right now, all of these resources we've made available so you can download them online as well. All of it free for you. That's how much we care about you sharing your story. In fact, the byline on this is sharing the good news at home and beyond. Because here's what we really want you to do is not only talk about your faith in your family, but we want your family to talk about their faith in the neighborhood and in the extended family and in our nation and in the world. And, and the, the way you're gonna be most powerful as a family and being on mission is to talk about your faith on a regular basis. I hope this will be helpful to you. There's something in there for you. Now, as we talk about telling this story, there's several basic things that we want to understand. By the way, if you weren't here last week when Micah talked about being on a rescue mission, go back online. Once again, it's free. Watch that message. It's the why. It's the why of what we do. Today, we're gonna talk about the how. We're gonna get a little more practical today to, to say there's some things that if you understand will help you be a better witness. The first thing we want you to understand is that you are a part of a team. You're not alone. Not only is your family on mission with you or can be on mission with you, but your church is on mission with you. And when God asks you to tell the story, he doesn't ask you to do everything. Uh, some of you have seen this little diagram before. I think it's important to look at again. And that is just simply to say that when someone comes to faith in Christ, let's say this represents when somebody comes to faith in Christ, there's a journey toward that. And there are some who are just beginning that journey. They're like, if, it, if we were gonna graft it, we'd say they're a negative 10. There are others who are just about to invite Jesus Christ into their life to forgive them and take control. They're just one step away. And then there are folks all in between that. And here's the reality is that when God asks you to tell the story, many times what he's asking you to do is to help somebody who's a negative six just to move to a negative five. You don't have to do it all and you don't have to tell the whole thing, just do your part to understand that you're a part of a team. In 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, Paul says, I planted Apollos watered, but the Lord gave the increase. And to understand that we're a part of a team and that God is sovereignly revealing himself to all people. Here's the promise in Romans, that God will reveal himself to every single person. And it goes on to say that's why they're without excuse. God's orchestrating all this and he loves everybody so much that he's gonna reveal his truth to them and he wants to use you for a part of that revelation. Does that make sense? And, and so don't be afraid that you can't do it all. Uh, also, I think it's real important to understand that witnessing is, is, is most of the time more of a sentence than it is a paragraph. And, and that God just wants you to say that word. It, it's like drip irrigation. You know, if you're gonna help a plant, you just, a little bit of water here and a little bit of water the next day and a little bit of water there. If you unload a fire hydrant on somebody, you really don't do them a service most of the time, all right? And so it may be that you just say something like, didn't God make a beautiful day today? <laughs> don't say anything else. That's enough on that day. And then there's a, a time where somebody maybe has the loss of a loved one and you say, I want to be praying for you because I don't know what I would have done when my daddy died if I didn't have God in my life. Not one more syllable. See, a lot of times when we think about witnessing, we think we've got to tell the whole thing. 
You know, we got to do a, a, a 30, 40 minute uh, presentation of the gospel using 17 different scriptures and diagraphs and, and a poem at the end. Witnessing is more of a sentence than it is a paragraph. And the reason is there's a story being told by a whole group of people that God has sovereignly put together, and you're just a part of that process, so relax. In fact, I like to say it this way, is that we all witness because we do it all the time. We recommend restaurants, we recommend books, we recommend movies. Recommending Jesus is no different. You don't need any training for that. Now, it's great to train yourself, it's great to get better at that, but you already know how to witness. It's just telling what you know about Jesus. In fact, my best definition of witnessing is, witness is witnessing is sharing Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. God can take our simple words. He can take the simple, natural, candid expressions of our heart, and he can take it, and his Holy Spirit can put it right in the right ears at the right time, plant it in just the right heart, and then God does something that only God can do as he draws people to him. We're a part of a team. And a part of that team is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What a team. We're on a winning team. And God just wants you to play your part. So first of all, understand that you're a part of a team. Second of all, understand your style of evangelism. Uh, years and years ago, I read a book by Bill Hybels called Contagious Christianity. And in that book, he talks about six different styles of evangelism that he discovered in the Bible. Now, there are probably more than six, but six that Bill uh, identified. Let's just talk through those because I think you're gonna find yourself in one of those six styles. First of all, Bill said there's a confrontational style of evangelism. That is a person who has the gift of evangelism. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life and, and, and the day you became a Christian, you have a, a skill, a supernatural skill that you didn't have the day before you became a Christian. Did you realize that? Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of leadership. Some of you have the gift of help. Some of you have the gift of giving. Some of you have the gift of faith. But there is a gift called the gift of evangelism. And some of you have that. And, and, and I would put you in that category as Bill would of saying that you have the confrontational style of evangelism. Simon Peter had this gift. He stood up on Pentecost in front of a group of strangers and he said, you guys crucified the wrong guy. Okay, this was God. You blew it. Now let me tell you how to get right with him. And the Bible says that 3,000 people got saved that day because he was himself. He just exercised his gift. This is a person who has the ability to sit down on an airplane and strike up a conversation with a stranger that God has supernaturally put him next to and before the plane lands 45 minutes later in Austin to take him all the way from a negative six to the, 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 the destination. Now, not very many of you have that gift. In fact, let's just kind of take a poll here. How many of you feel like you have the gift of evangelism? You can smell a lost person 100 miles away and know exactly where they are on this chart and take them as far as they're ready to go. How many of you would join me in that and say you have the gift of evangelism? Raise your hand. Just raise. It's all right. Raise them high. There is nobody in this service that has the gift of evangelism. Thank you very much. So typically, in any church, it's less than 10% of the congregation. All right? Now, here's the problem. Most preachers have the gift of evangelism. Not all, but most of them do. And so we tell you these stories about how we walk up to total strangers and win them to the Lord, and everybody goes, whoa, I, I don't want any of that stuff. You don't have to do it like that. You get to be yourself because there's five other styles of evangelism. The second style of evangelism is the invitational style of evangelism. 
This is the style of evangelism that Simon Peter's brother had, Andrew. When he met Jesus one time, he didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. He wasn't even yet a follower completely of Jesus himself. But he came home, he said, you got to meet this Jesus guy. Come see. That's all he said. Just come see. Some of you, that's your style of evangelism. And just say, people, come see. Come see. Come to Lake Point. Have you found a church home yet? Well, we'd love to have you at our church. Just come see. Come here. Hey, what about this in the Bible? I don't know about any of that, but I know a place where they do know. Come see. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that inviting someone to church is not witnessing because you didn't use a Bible verse. If Andrew had not said, come see to Simon Peter, Simon Peter would have never used his style of evangelism and 3,000 people would have never been saved. And the argument can be made that the 3,000 people were saved because of invitational style of evangelism. Some of you are party animals. You're always inviting people, including people, and getting people together and having parties. You're an includer and an inviter, and God made you that way for a reason, and he wants you to use that to invite people to come hear about the gospel. Use your style of evangelism. The third style of evangelism is the relational style of evangelism. Jesus uh, was on the Sea of Galilee, and they docked near Gadarene, and there was a cemetery there, and there was a man who was crazy, running around naked in the cemetery, cutting himself, and Jesus healed him. He was so grateful for having his right mind and what Christ had done for him that he wanted to become the 13th disciple. He said, I want to get in the boat with you and I want to go with you guys. And Jesus, to paraphrase, paraphrase said, I've got enough crazy guys already in the boat. I need for you to stay here, all right? Go back home because there are people you already have a relationship with who do not know about me. I don't need you to go on a boat talking to strangers on the other side of the lake. I need for you to stay here in the relationships you already have and leverage those relationships for the kingdom. I know this style of evangelism well because my wife Marcia has this style of evangelism. She's not one to walk up to a stranger and strike up a conversation and, and weave it towards spiritual things, but she goes very, very deep with a very few people and in doing so she earns the right to share Christ with them. When she was a school teacher, she treated every child so much like an individual and helped learn, uh, know their learning styles and got to know them and their families and invested in them and the teachers that she taught with. She developed deep and abiding relationships and she was always looking for when those people would move into a curious state of life about spiritual things and then she would gently start the conversation with someone that she knew and someone who trusted her. Those are the kind of people that I scare to death, okay, with my style of evangelism. And I would never have an opportunity to share with. And she, over long time and deep investments, earned the right to share. Some of you are like that. You're relational in your style of evangelism. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that you never verbalize your faith. You do. It's just that you do it after a long, deep relationship. And then there's the testimonial style of evangelism. In the Bible, it was the, the blind man who was healed, and they were bringing him before the religious leaders of that day, and they were asking him all these theological questions. And he said, I don't know about any of that. All I know is that I was blind, and now I see. Some of you have a great story about how God has changed your life. And you know what makes up a personal testimony, the four parts? Uh, it is, first of all, sharing your life before Christ. And then second of all, it is sharing 
how you realized your need for Christ. Was it a service you were attending? Was it a book that you read? Was it a sunset? Was it the Holy Spirit just stirring in you? Was it that you got miserable with the life you were living? How did you, dis- how did you determine your need for Christ? And then thirdly, how you became a Christian. And then fourth, the difference in your life now. Those are the four parts. My life before Christ, how I realized my need, how I gave my life to Christ, and my life now. Now, if you weren't taking notes fast enough, all of that is in the kit, all right? So get the kit. It will walk you through how to write your own personal testimony. And it's important because everyone here has a before and after if you know Christ. You were lazy before Christ and now you're, you're, you're productive and you're a hard worker. You were materialistic and now you're generous. You were lustful and now you love and, you're ge- and, you, and, you, and, you, and you give instead of trying to take all the time. It's one of the signs that we've been saved is that there's fruit in our life. There's fruit in our life. By their fruits you shall know them. Everyone has a before story. Everybody's got an after story. But for some of you, that's your primary way of sharing, telling his story, is by telling your story. And then there's the intellectual style of evangelism. This was Paul. Paul the apostle, who at one point his name was Saul. His name was changed when he came to Christ to indicate the change in his life. But he was always brilliant. He was one of the most educated people in the first century. And because of his intellect, God used him to write a lot of our New Testament. He stood and he was an apologetic for the gospel. He gave good reason for people to believe. You do understand that we cannot prove that there is a God. And neither can those who do not believe prove that there's not a God. But those who have the intellectual style of evangelism, they're very good at presenting the evidence that there's more proof for a God who loves us and cares for us than there is not to believe. It really does take more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It really does. It strains credibility credibility for you to believe that there's not a God who's been intimately involved in this world. But some of you, God will use your mind to help provide the evidence for folks that makes it easier. Those who have legitimate intellectual problems with Christianity. By the way, everybody puts their faith in something or somebody. Everybody will take a leap of faith. There is no such thing as blind faith. We act on evidence and some have followed the evidence to God and some have uh, ignored the evidence and gone away from God. The intellectual style of evangelism. And then there's the servant style or what I call the compassion style of evangelism. And that's that story of Lydia who uh, was in Philippi. Uh, is a story of one who gave a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. And some of you, that's what God's called you to do. He's made you compassionate for those who are victims of AIDS. He's made you compassionate about those who are homeless or those who are sick or those who are hungry. And God is using you to meet the physical needs of people so that you earn the right to meet their greatest need. And that is where they're going to spend eternity, either unity with God or separated from God. Let's take a survey, can we? I'm gonna name all six. When I name the one that represents you, would you raise your hand real high? Those of you, again, who have the confrontational style of evangelism, just wave your hand there. Those of you who have the invitational style of evangelism, would you raise your hand up? A few more folks. How many of you have the relational style of evangelism? Raise your hand, okay, even more folks. How many of you have the testimonial style of evangelism? My my before and after story, what a great group. How about the intellectual style of evangelism? These are smart people that are raising their hands right now. (laughs) Uh, How many of you have the compassion style of evangelism or the servant style? Isn't this great? 
Did you see all the different hands that went up in the room? The variety that God has created right in our church. The hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. The, the, the mouth cannot say to the ear, I have no need of you. God has put together an army in this room for us to tell the story in this community and beyond. And together, the different styles of evangelism will tell the story clearly to different audiences that are out there. Isn't that exciting? But that's why we need you. We need you and your unique gift and your style. Here's the cool thing. You get to be yourself when you tell the story. You don't have to be Pastor Steve. You don't have to be somebody else. You get to be you. And you make a great you. You really do. You make a terrible somebody else. Just be yourself. Share your faith in a natural way. We have to understand you're a part of a team. Understand your style of evangelism. Thirdly, you have to understand the audience. Now, here's the truth. There are two basic groups out there. There are people who are not interested. They, they, if you started telling them about the message of Jesus Christ, you're wasting your time. In fact, here's what Jesus said about these people. He said, do not cast pearls before pigs. That's what he said. He said, and he's not calling people pigs because they're not believers. He's calling the metaphor of a pig because he said pigs don't appreciate pearls. And people who are not interested in the gospel, you don't need to go and tell them how to get saved because he says if you cast pigs, uh, pearls before pigs, they will stomp the pearls in the mud and then they'll bite you. That's what he says. That's a paraphrase, but that's what he said. So don't, don't be preaching at people who are not interested yet. Then there are folks, though, who are interested. These are folks that, for whatever reason, they're interested in knowing how to be saved. Maybe they're interested because they know you. And they see something in your life that they don't have. Maybe they're interested because they've gone through a crisis in their life. Maybe they're interested because of death of mom and dad, and all of a sudden they have a sense of their own mortality. I don't know. It doesn't matter why they're interested. Those folks, there's a different strategy. And here's the way Jesus said it. Jesus says... You are salt. You are the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. For folks who are not interested, you need to be salt. You need to make them thirsty. And the way you primarily do that is through your behavior, what you do. You want to make people thirsty who are not interested in the gospel at your work? You be the hardest working, most productive person in your office. You don't make them salty by coming in an hour late and throwing your Bible on your desk. Please do not take your Bible to work if you're not gonna show up on time. You are not helping the cause. All right? You're gonna make them salty by being the most generous, forgiving, and patient, and kind person in your family or in your neighborhood. You're going to make them curious or, or, or thirsty or interested by being the, 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 the friendliest person, the nicest person. In other words, let them see the after. You're not going to be perfect, but they need to see the change that Jesus, the most honest person. For the person who is interested, for whatever reason they've gotten interested, they're ready for light. They're, they're like in here, they're like negative two or negative three. They're ready for light. They need to know how to get there, the path to go. 
So pay attention not only to who you are, but also pay attention to where they are. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, if somebody is not interested that you don't ever say anything about Jesus. It's just that it's really short. And you put it out there, and in fact, that's the way you tell if they're interested or not, by saying something about God, and if they bite on it and they want to talk more about it, then you go as far as they want to go. But if they're not interested and they back off, then you back off. We're going to read a scripture in a moment. It says that we share with reverence. It means we respect their boundaries. And with gentleness. This is not about a hard sale. This is not about a pushy, being pushy, being obnoxious. And then we finally need to understand the process. What is the process? The process is threefold. First of all, we want to make contact with people. Now, some of you don't need to hear that. Some of you are in contact with lost people all the time. Some of you live with lost people. Some of you work, and everybody in your work are critical of God and the gospel. It's a tough place to work. By the way, don't be too quick to want to escape that place. God may have put you there to tell the story. And your witness is even greater when people treat you wrong, when they persecute you, and you render good for evil. All right? But make contact. Some of you need to hear that part of the process, though, because you've been a Christian so long that you have isolated yourself from all people who don't know the story. All your friends are Christians. All your past are Christians. Where you work, everybody's a Christian. And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to step outside of your normal path to be around people who do not know Christ. In fact, let me just challenge you with something today. This may be worth the trip, okay? I'm going to challenge you tomorrow morning to pray this prayer. God, put me in the path of somebody who doesn't know you so that I can help them move from a negative six to a negative five or a negative three. Wherever they are, God, put me supernaturally. Because here's what will happen. If you will pray that prayer, God will answer that prayer. And God will either supernaturally change their path of that day or your path. And you're going to run into somebody who just needs a little word as a part of a team that you're on. Being yourself, using your style of evangelism. And, and it's kind of cool to watch during the day to see who that person's going to be. After this service, one of the guys who works on our media team talked about the fact that he used to work, he's retired now, but he used to work for Channel 8, and he was going in for an all-night shift where he's going to be in the building all by himself. And he prayed before he thought about it. He prayed and said, God, help me run into somebody at work today who doesn't know you that I can be a witness to. And then he got on, is on his way to work, and he was working the, the all-night shift, and he realized there's not going to be anybody there. He, thought, he felt so silly for praying the prayer. And he said it was about 2 o'clock in the morning as he was laying out tapes for the crew that was going to come out that next morning preparing uh, Channel 8 for that, that the security guard came up and tapped him on the shoulder, and he said, man, I'm really going some tough times. Can I talk with you? I know you're a Christian. Would you pray with me? Hello? It's fun to pray that prayer and see what God might do and how God might use you. For some of us, we're going to have to change our path in order to come in contact with those who don't know the Lord. For some of us, we're already there, but what we need to do is open our eyes and notice the lost people that are already around us and become aware. So first of all, make contact. Second of all, is make them curious. And again, we make them curious by what we do and by what we say. And both... God will use to make people curious. And a lot of it has to do with where they are in the process. And then the final thing is to make it clear. To make it clear. There's a wonderful scripture that's found in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, the third chapter, verse 15, it says this. It says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, 
always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Oh my goodness, that's a great verse. There's so much in that verse. It says, always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's within you. First of all, it's saying that we li- would live in such a way that somebody would look at us and say, what? what is it about your life? They're asking us to share the light because they've moved from not interested and interested because of what we do, the way we live. And then it says, when we share, always be ready to give an answer concerning the hope that's within you. Somebody walked up to you today and said, hey, I, I, I know you're a Christian and I see the difference it makes in your life. I want what you have. Can you tell me how to become a Christian? Are you ready? Are you ready to give an answer concerning the hope that's within you? Could you actually tell somebody how to become a Christian? One of the reasons we give these kits out today is we want you to be ready. We want you to be ready. Now, it, it may be that only once or twice in your life you'll ever close the sale, but friends, you need to be ready when that time comes. Uh, you can go to a website, it's in the kit, but you can go to a website that's lakepoint.org slash tell the story. And when you go there, what you're gonna do is you're gonna find this image here, just scroll down, and what you're gonna find is a little thing that says how to share your faith in a natural way. It's actually about a 45 minute course, and it tells you how to bring up the topic for someone you think might be ready. It tells you to, how to ask them to find out where they are on this scale without offending them. It tells you how to, in a very brief time, like five minutes to share with someone how to become a Christian and then to ascertain if they're ready to do that or if they need to think about it some more and how to actually pray with them. Great technology that we have today. You can watch that online over and over and over again until you can say, I'm ready to give an answer concerning the hope that is within me. Tell the story. It's a great story, isn't it? Tell the story. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of your team. And thank you, dear Father, that we don't have to know everything and do everything, but we do have to be faithful to tell what we know and that we can just be ourselves. We don't have to be somebody else and that every person who knows you is ready to do something and that you'll supernaturally be involved in our life and you'll help us make connections with people who don't yet know you and that there'll be people in heaven one day because we said yes. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.